Yeah. All right. Now oh, we're ready. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> this is exciting. How do you feel, Austin? I feel excited too. I have little little butterflies. I don't want. So who who are you, Austin? Oh snap. Um, <laughs> Introduce yourself to this audience. All right. So my name is Austin Ellis. Uh, I grew up here in the Dallas area, Rowlett to be exact. Thirty-two years old. Um, lifelong into martial arts. Started early. My dad was like an Olympic team sparring boxer. Um, so he taught me how to box, and I did Taekwondo. Started team sports in high school, just playing football, some track and powerlifting. A little bit of a late bloomer athletically, and then after high school and towards the end, really got into jujitsu, mixed martial arts. Competed a few times in MMA, 2-0 as an amateur. Uh, had a couple wins at Naga tournaments in jiu-jitsu back in the day at Nogi. This is like 2006, 2007, so jiu-jitsu was still pretty new uh, to the world then. I mean, it, it had been around, but you know what I mean? It wasn't the only people that knew jiu-jitsu were like, you know, UFC fans and, and real Brazilian jiu-jitsu people. What, what, what made the big kind of blow up on that? Man, I never really I, noticed. It felt like it kind of snuck up. Yeah, really... well, you know, like early UFC was all about uh, kind of like the Gracie family and proving like which traditional martial art was like the best. Everybody was like, no, my style is the best. And then their lips kept moving and stuff. <laughs> but, um, you know, so it was like Taekwondo guys, karate guys, boxers, wrestlers. And then, you know, this tiny family from Brazil, the Gracies, that they learned jujitsu from a a Japanese master who had come over to Brazil and uh, they kind of adapted it to their ways and they said no we're the best and so that's kind of how the UFC was born it was like a competition to figure that out and early on no one knew jiu-jitsu um, and so if they knew it like the uh, the Gracie family was just wiping the floor with people because no one knew about it mm. and um, then you know some years passed um, and you get to maybe like the Chuck Liddell era of the UFC, uh, Rich Franklin, Matt Hughes, those are the guys coming up when I was getting into it back then. And um, at that point, jiu-jitsu was still, like if you're a really good jiu-jitsu practitioner, it was still a really big deal. And it still is to today. Mm -hmm. But now it's more of like a buy-in. Just to be in, in mixed martial arts world, you have to have a certain level of jiu-jitsu. If you don't know any, you're in big trouble. But you don't have to be an expert anymore. Um, you just have to know enough and then be good at something else as well. Mm -hmm. um, but really what made jiu-jitsu take off, I, I'm not sure of the, the original event, but it seemed in that like 2006 to 2010, it grew a lot. And then unlike other traditional martial arts like Taekwondo or karate or something like that, it's just, it's still evolving. Um, where a lot of the other ones are just so traditional and a little bit stuck in their ways and maybe not as deeply rooted in actually being martial. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. In jiu-jitsu, they practice like almost every day a fight, like a, a low-level fight where you mm -hmm. can practice choking somebody or pulling their arm off or something like that, where in the other sports, they might spar, but it's just not as much like a real fight, you know? Mm -hmm. Do you think like, uh, usually it's always like a media thing, so a character, somebody that that like pushed it to the mainstream. Yeah. Do you think that, was that, <clears throat> had anything to do with its look? You know, I don't. I can't think of any like cartoons or major media figure, uh, but there are definitely some I've seen in the last five or six years that have like picked it up. So I can't remember the actor's name, but he was like um, 
married with children. The the dad. Bun- yeah. So the he's dad. Like, he's like a black belt. What? He's been doing jujitsu for a long time. Um, the dad. Yeah, the dad. That's what I heard. I, I'm not completely confirmed, but I like looked it up before. Wow. Yeah, this dude was doing jiu-jitsu back in the Dizze. And he does he does that Modern Family show, that guy. Yeah. Well, I didn't um, know that, if that's true. Let's see, who else was there? Because, um, like, you, like I, I guess, what's his name? Um, Connor McGregor? Yeah. Like, Is that what you just yeah. did? Okay, yeah. <laughs> I was swinging the arms around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like him, Ronda Rousey, like you hear those people. That, that Of course, they're like later, right? But like that right. kind of drew eyes to uh, to that stuff. But yeah. prior to them, were there, I don't know. There were else. some stars, but yeah. not maybe not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu stars. Those okay. people were just bringing, they were better, I think, faces uh, and personalities to bring mixed martial arts to the forefront yeah. and make it seem a little bit more acceptable. Because I remember when I was first getting into it, like late 90s, early 2000s, it was still considered... You know, like the cockfighting of humans. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't remember. Was it a? Was that politician? He was a prisoner of war, and then he had a gay daughter, and it was all a big deal. What? I can't remember his name. I'm having such a brain fart. This dude's <laughs> name, but he he was the original one that said it was like the cockfighting of people. Mm-hmm. But um, those people brought a lot, especially for women. I think Ronda Rousey did a lot for just yeah. showing women that you know. Yeah you could be powerful and still seem attractive or you could be really good at a sport and that didn't diminish you as a, as a female or somehow, yeah. you know, it actually just like uplifted them and, and then, um, you know, eventually she got dethroned, but I think she did a lot for the general public yeah, seeing true. the sport. Yeah. So, uh, so now you're a trainer now. So how do you, how, how did you get back into training? Cause you, you, you started in training, but then left and then you came back. Yeah, so I mean, I did a lot of things, really. So after high school, I just I started a job at a hospital as a transporter and radiology and assistant, and then did that for a while. And then I was like, man, I was doing jiu-jitsu and MMA at the time, and I was like teaching the younger kids like all the conditioning stuff after practices, and thought I really enjoyed that. And I, I'd always liked being in the weight room and finding ways to get stronger or faster. And um, I did some kickboxing and boxing instruction at places like a title boxing and nine round and I taught a little bit of self-defense type stuff but I just did that on and off while I did other jobs um, and then for about five years I worked at UPS as an operations manager and it was just you know sucking the soul out of me long hours the pay was good for someone without a degree the insurance was really nice but it, it was just hard on my body and they just didn't have a culture that meshed with me so eventually uh, I broke up with a girlfriend at the time, and I was like, I'm going to stop taking these depression medicines, cold turkey. And, you know, that just threw me into a wild spiral, and so I left UPS and just kind of like wallowed around in a pit of depression for about six months and then decided I'd pick myself up and listen to some David Goggins and some Jocko Willink and all kinds of stuff like that. Got my Got my motivation back and running and got my discipline in order and decided that I wanted to just go full blast and to coaching and personal training because it, it really gives back to me and I really haven't had a case of the Mondays since I started mm. doing that so that's a that's a topic I'll, we always talk about which we'll probably talk down the road as in like a full length conversation but because <clears throat> um, being a trainer is not kind of considered a like a career a long term career at least from a lot of people that stay in it right, right. yeah or like, go into it it's like uh, you're a bartender yeah or something you know i not no hit on bartenders no. but sometimes young people do that because it keeps them in the young crowd it gives them cash yeah. 
find connections and enough time off to, you know, do some vacations and travel the world, and that's cool. But Mm -hmm. I especially see, like, and have heard from others, guys Mm -hmm. in personal training. You know, there's lots of 18 to 22-year-old boys boys that get into personal training because they think, they're going to get pussy out of it or, you know, it's just like, that's, that's like something that's kind of stuck on that job. And yeah, for those kind of people, it is, it is a temporary job because they don't, they don't have a passion for it. They're in it for the wrong reasons. They don't have a high level of, um, practical or book learning behind them. Um, and it is going to be temporary. They're not going to make a ton of money on it. And, you know, I'm not making a ton of money right now, but Mm -hmm. I've really only been going full blast on this for a couple months. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so how, what what is it about it that makes you want to stay in it? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, unlike a lot of my other jobs, it, it does kind of give back to me. I'm a little bit of an extroverted infer- introvert, you know. So okay. after a long work day, I just go. I don't want to even talk. Sometimes I just go home and chill and don't talk another word. <laughs> yeah. So, but while I'm up here it's like a reciprocal type of energy I'm getting from people. Like when I see, I love the feeling of taking, you know, someone who believes they can't do something or thinks that they're too old or too weak or too stiff to accomplish something. And then in like four weeks time, watching them do that thing without even realizing that they did it. You know what I mean? They're mm-hmm. like, hey, you remember like six weeks ago, like you couldn't even reach your knees. Mm-hmm. I've, I work with people sometimes that when they bend over at the hip, they can't even reach their knees. Like that... You just gotta have like T-Rex arms for that. No, you can be really tight. And then yeah. in six weeks time, they touch their toes. And they're like, I've never touched my toes. Mm-hmm. So things like that are really like eye-opening for people. And I think especially for a younger mind, it's it's really nice to have a little bit of a, uh, like a hand in shaping that person for their life. Yeah. You know, I'm not trying to say like I'm their parent or anything. No, but yeah. You give them the tools to sort of, for them to figure it out. Or notice that they've kind of had the answers and they just had to like be consistent on it. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I like the idea of finding people that have a, a will for something. I want mm-hmm. this, I want that, but they don't know the direction or how to do it. So I give people the way that have the will. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, like a, a ship without a compass, I've heard other people say. Mm-hmm. So I give them a compass and just enough push to keep them going in the right directions. Mm-hmm. And that's always hard to make people understand that in terms of like talking to someone who's a personal trainer where it's like how you look right and you have to battle the aesthetic part of it which i mean a lot of it was uh was kind of how it all started bodybuilding right so it's how you look right yeah and bodybuilding is i guess at least when it started was just the masculine beauty pageant yeah it was what are your proportions and you know do you have a little waist and broad shoulders and do you have the golden ratios you know is your bicep the same diameter as your calf because if they're not you're not within that golden ratio you know you're a little bit disproportionate same thing if you guys don't know out there and you want to have the golden proportion your calf your upper arm and your neck should all be within about five to ten percent of each other in terms of dimensions catching up i know right <laughs> that's like every almost every guy yeah <laughs> so uh i'm lucky that i got big you're, fat white you boy are ankles. proportionate yeah so i have like 16 inch calves almost 16 inch arms and 16 inch neck see but you got the look but i also i also got wide childbearing hips too so like, <laughs> it doesn't matter how lean i get i got like a 33 inch waist there's so. always something i know there's yeah. always something but yeah the, the younger crowd especially, and just, I guess, like the Instagram generation, perhaps, yeah. is yeah. very focused on the aesthetics and the way they look. But 
I've had this thing in my head for a long time that I've said to like my brother, or, like younger guys, mm -hmm. or you know, this goes for women as well. To me, looking really good, like in a bikini or naked mm -hmm. or in your board shorts or whatever guys like to show off their bodies in, um, it's not that impressive until you're like 30. Question. Okay? So I see a girl on Instagram and she's 22 years old. She's got a little thin waist and a pretty face and you know her arms don't jiggle and she's got the thighs you like and a big round booty. I'm like, congrats, you're 22. Okay? <laughs> and this is not a hit on young people. I was Life's on your side right now. <laughs> yeah. You're so, you're, we're genetically yeah, programmed to peak and look our best around that time. So you see a 22-year-old with a, you know, guy say a fat ass or whatever you mm -hmm. like in a, in a, in a physique on yeah. the opposite gender or whatever yeah. gender you're attracted to, uh, and you're like, ooh, that is, I mean, they're still fun to appreciate. Mm -hmm. I like to look at it too, but it doesn't necessarily take a high level of work yeah. and dedication at 22 to do that. Now you see that same woman or man when they're 30 yeah. or 32 or 35, and they still got a little waist. They still got some definition. Yeah. They're still strong and mobile and they got a booty or the guy still got shoulders and forearms or whatever muscles you like to look at. That's usually two things. You can, you can determine two things out of that. That person has some level of dedication to what they're doing to take care of their body. Whether and Now that can be too strong too. You can be a narcissist completely obsessed with yourself and don't care about anybody else and everything you do is for the nourishment and the growth of your body mm -hmm. and you lack in all these other worldly skills or it can just mean that you've got a schedule and you stick to it and you do these things and that's a great trait for someone to look for in a relationship mm -hmm. or a partner or just a friend yeah. uh, someone that's willing to sacrifice a little time for the long run to get the results they want just like going to college like Nobody, I don't know anybody that really loves school, but there's tons of people that go to four to eight years of that stuff because they want the final outcome. And so that's, that's why job seeking people do those things. Unless you're in a really specific skill where you need to be an engineer, other than that, it just proves to the job world that you're willing to put up with bullshit you don't want to do for the end result, which is what most corporate jobs are going to need from you anyway. <laughs> the other end of that scale would be, we just talked about dedication, consistency, and um, delayed gratification, right? The other end is, if they're 30 plus and they still have those traits, they're either dedicated or they got the best genetics. Yeah. And so you should probably want to make a baby with that anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? So, yeah. like a Selma Hayek is like 50 something years old and she still has a little waist and, you know, yeah. pretty face and big old, her shape's like really nice, you know? So, that's amazing genetics, probably. Plus hard work. Yeah. So plus she has a whole team. Probably. Yeah, I, 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 celebrities are a little <laughs> yeah, different with the time. And the, yeah, all the stuff they can put in. But just for general population people, I see a 22 year old with a booty. I'm like, congrats, you're 22. Mm -hmm. I see a 32 year old with a booty, and I'm like, that girl probably knows a little bit of something about taking care of her body and has yeah. done it for a little bit. You know? <laughs> like I want to know more about you. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> well, I remember Austin had said. When you're young, there's like five things, or or was it four? Or three oh, things uh, that you sort of the the keys to to staying young. Yeah, that you made that you're um, like based off what you've seen. That yeah. you think that like that. The three M's. Yeah, was one That's, thing I was yeah, thinking about M's. was it the was M M's. things was um, to staying young and not not you know the the numerical number, but just the idea of youth yeah. is uh, mindset, and so that that's just. That can be anything, but that's the 
that's that idea as you get older that your back is supposed to hurt or that your knees are supposed oh, yeah. to hurt or, you know, I'm 40, I can't do that anymore. Or, you know, everyone's seen old people that, that don't get on the floor anymore because it's just hard to do, right? Mm. Um, and having that, that idea in your head that these are naturally aging occurrences and they're really not. That's just part of your habits and things like that. So having a mindset of growth and change and the idea that the the number isn't the determining factor is very important I think and the other M one of the other M's is momentum and um, momentum is really good because genetically like I said before we're programmed kind of to, to sprint to a certain age you know for girls it's a little younger for guys it's a little older it takes guys a little longer to emotionally and um, intellectually mature girls tend to uh, physically mature a little faster and so that they're forced into some of those other emotional growing points um, but yeah up to about 22 everyone's on like a rocket ship hormones and, and societal rocket ship to get to this point and so you have all these great things going for you but then after that point really life is like entropy you know it's going downhill yeah. whether you want it to or not at whatever speed you determine to let it go and coming off the couch, let's call the couch zero to one, which is like, you know, walking the block, the couch to one is an infinite jump mathematically. Zero to one is infinite, mm -hmm. but from one to two is just one. Mm -hmm. From two to three is just one more. Mm -hmm. So once you break that inertia stillness, that momentum builds on itself, and I use that example of my dad, um, and my dad's family, uh, he didn't know his dad's side growing up. He knew his mother's side, and a lot of them were just chain-smoking, alcoholic, low education, you know, sitting mm -hmm. on the porch with a cigarette and an oxygen tank, eating fried chicken skin with salt oh on God. it. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> wow. And uh, and then, you know, like, so a bunch of them died at, like, 63. Mm -hmm. So he started thinking 63 was, like, this curse number. And, I, and then we finally met his dad's side of the family, like, 10 years ago. And here his dad is, tall, thin, big, white beard, um, almost 80 years old at the time we meet him, still hikes two miles up 4,000 feet elevation up to like 9,000 feet at the top to, to work this summer job where he looked for forest fires in Colorado. And he'd been doing that for years. He had to hike his own food up there. He drew his own, uh, drew his own water from a well, boiled it, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when you see, like, see, Dad, it's not your genetics. You act, He actually looks and acts way more like that side of the family than his mother's side. Mm -hmm. But what his mother's side didn't have going for him was momentum. They all just kind of stopped at some point and started doing the same old stuff, and they didn't have the right mindset. Um, and then we see the other side of the family, and like, boom, this, this guy has not stopped since the Korean War. He's been doing something mm -hmm. to keep himself going, and he just retired a few years ago, and he's like 87 now. You know, and he's, he still takes care of some chickens in the morning and a little garden, mm -hmm. so he still has a reason. Mm -hmm. He still has something to live for. It's moving. Yeah, and then the last thing is muscle. And muscle, I've just heard before, seeing is like the organ of youth. Uh, it's metabolically active, helps you burn calories. It protects you from falling, and, and you know any other kind of physical mishaps can happen from you uh, for you. Um, keeps you strong. You know, there's direct correlations between things like the nervous system strength for your grip strength, and how long you're going to live. Foot speed and how long you're going to live. The difference between a broken hip that creates a blood clot that becomes a stroke, that becomes the end of your life when you're 65, um, and a trip and a stubbed toe is strength. Like if your foot speed is high and you've got enough strength to grab yourself with one leg, you're not gonna break your hip. 
But if you don't have that, I, when I worked at the hospital, I saw it. I saw multiple people like come in around 65 to 70. They broke a bone from a fall. They had complications from the surgery, an infection or a blood clot. Blood clot moved to their lung. They have a PE. Next thing you know, I, I see them next year and they're on their deathbed. And it's because they didn't have enough muscle to stop themselves from falling. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. those were the three M's. Yeah. Mindset, momentum, and muscle. Yeah. Do you, when you get clients... Uh, how do you approach being able to explain like all of that, right? Because I don't think you can just blatantly just say, I mean, you could. Yeah, I'm a little like, long-winded <laughs> sometimes too, so just shut me up. But. <laughs> no, because I feel like sometimes, say you, you're talking to someone and they're like, yeah, but I just want to look good for the summer. <laughs> so, but there's so much behind what it takes to just have a healthy lifestyle right. that you sort of have to insert those little gems into people. So right. how do you, how... How do you navigate through that? A lot of people are not um, as receptive to the idea. Yeah. I, I have a hard time with this too because I get a little passionate when I talk sometimes or I get like revved up. Mm -hmm. And so That's good. <laughs> when the when the level of vigor or I used to call it, um, they used to call me overzealous Ellis when I was wrestling. <laughs> but uh, uh, when that level of zealous energy becomes too high, it, it's it's like the opposite end of magnets running into each other. They mm -hmm. just bounce away from it. It's, it's too yeah. high energy for them to absorb at that time yeah. so you have to find a way to give them what they want and what they need kind of like sneaking medicine into your dog's mouth by hiding it in some cheese mm -hmm. you know yeah. so I get no offense to these clients but you know some of them are dogs and I gotta trick them with some cheese so I'm, I'm hiding a little medicine in there and um and then you just wait like sometimes I don't know I'm a I took that Myers-Briggs test a couple times. Mm -hmm. Apparently I'm the rarest type. I'm an INFJ. That's They're usually good teachers and a little bit uh, apt at reading people's emotions mm -hmm. and things like that. So you can usually just see it. Like you give this person a challenge and, and maybe eventually they break through it or, or it crushes them. And those are kind of times, both of those are times when, when mm -hmm. they're susceptible. You know, you've broken some of their armor. They're either receptive to it because they're feeling good or they're kind of disheveled and, and like in a little bit of a vulnerable state. And mm -hmm. so that's when that little bacterial idea, like, uh, what movie was that? Was that Inception? Yeah. Like what's the For what? What's the hardest thing to to get rid of after you put it into somebody's head is an idea. Oh, yeah. Yeah, something yes. like that. So those are those times yeah. when people are really susceptible to, to some of those changes in, in their lifestyle or their mentality and stuff. So like when they're real down and when they're real up and you – Sometimes you got to take them to those spots occasionally as a trainer or a coach or just as a therapist or anything. Yeah. But everybody has their own way to do it. Yeah. So I talk to other trainers and like whenever they have uh, like tough clients that they're like, I just don't want to have this person. I'm like, that's the person you want to have. Yeah. Because it teaches you about how to coach somebody who just doesn't get it. And, or you're not, you don't have a lot that you relate to them because of how you see things. Right. But if you're able to then find a way where you do, like then you've, kind of elevated yourself more into yeah it's coach. definitely major growth potential yeah. there it's, it's like a lot of things in life is yeah. you're gonna in a video game you start encountering resistance when you're getting yeah. close to the boss fight yeah. you know what I mean so like the more resistance you find means you're probably heading in the right direction yeah um it sucks. Oh Sometimes yeah, for sure like, sucks. And I, I, they don't get it. They yeah. don't get it. I like, struggle with the depression and especially like that anxiety driven mind for a long time. So I have plenty of yeah. avoidance type behaviors built into me, but yeah. I 
definitely don't feel my best when all I do is avoid things. Yeah. When uh, I, I think I've told you before, I'll, a lot of what I felt like in my youth was that there was tons of coaches like that. Like I didn't play football until I got into high school. No joke, I didn't know how many people were on the field in football. I didn't even watch it. I just mm-hmm. decided I was going to do it because everybody else was doing it. And my buddy Daniel did it with me. And I remember on the first day, the coaches were like, all right, guys, break up into your positions. And I had to go ask the coach, like, what am I? I've never done this before. <laughs> and they were like, oh, you look like a tight end. And so they sent me over there, and they found out I couldn't catch the first day. And like, you're going to have to be a running back now. You can't mm-hmm. catch. But then they never – there was no real coaching there. They would see the, mm-hmm. you know, these athletic kids that had already played eight years of football or they had a little bit of height or a little bit of speed or great hands, and that's where they put their energy. And that's – it's just easy. I mean, they're. Yeah. I don't necessarily blame them because you know they've got whatever on their plates. I don't know them yeah. as people, and you know they're just trying to make a successful football team. They might trying not to, have been trying to grow as coaches. They just wanted a successful football team, um, and so there was better returns on their investment by putting it on those kids. Um, but I don't think as much growth for them as coaches or as as rewarding. I I use the example of like making a Ferrari go fast as. That's fucking easy. Put your foot on the gas. It's going fast. Congrats. <laughs> but it's much more impressive if you can take a car that's not designed to be super fast mm-hmm. and you make the tweaks to it. And you, do, you do the struggles and the failures of figuring out like what you can do to it, what you can't do to it, and then take that out on the track and beat that guy with the Ferrari with it. And then that dude with the Ferrari pulls up. It's like, holy shit, man, how'd you do that? Like, well, I, I had to learn and struggle and fail a bunch which is not what natural athletes end up doing. They don't fail as often as like guys like me. I'm not naturally super athletic. I was gifted with a few things, mm-hmm. like upper body power, and, and I hit really hard, and I can take a hit pretty well. Um, but like I was not super fast. Fastest 40 ever was like a 4.69, mm-hmm. and you know, the fastest guy on our team ran like a 4.39. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my vertical was like 34 inches. The best guy on our team had a 41-inch vertical. Mm-hmm. So it was, we had some good athletes. Um, but, you know, they couldn't coach. They, you know, I jumped 41-inch vertical. I didn't mean you could coach anybody how to do that because you, you just jumped and suddenly I'm 40 inches in the air. Uh, I had to struggle to get yeah. to 34, you know. So uh, I think some of those struggles make people better coaches. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's changed a little bit, but not a lot. It's still the same. Because at the end of the day, it's like people have to get paid, so it's about money. Yeah, and you, for so sure. You, you have to, like, whatever the professional, uh, <clears throat> I guess, ad- advice that you give to a coach, they'll probably go over your head and be like, nah, but we need them out there or something. Yeah, oh, yeah, for you sure. Know? And you see that with the injuries, especially, yeah. like, I think a, a good turnaround time for an ACL tear is like 12 to 18 months. I'm, I'm talking like to come back full blast, ready to go, but you see guys do it all the time in six months, eight yeah. months, because yeah. the team needs you. I'm like, dude, at the high school level, the team can kiss my ass, you know, because it's I'm not getting paid. I'm not yeah. going to get paid in college either. Yeah. Little Jimmy wants to be the best 15-year-old baseball player he can. Congrats to him and his Tommy John surgery, because he's going to blow his elbow or shoulder yeah. out. He should be you know, thinking long-term. Yeah. Don't rush yourself back. You, you know, you want to be the best 20-year-old, 22-year-old, 25-year-old, 30-year-old athlete you can be, not the best 15-year-old yeah. athlete you can be. So part of this podcast has to do with, like, uh, defining what the goal is of anything, right? right. Even a, a debate, an argument. 
Um, because I think that's the that's why I wanted to start this type of podcast and have people on to have these types of conversations is because like <clears throat> when you zoom out, there's one way to define what a group of people, a person or whatever wants to accomplish. Mm-hmm. But when you zoom in in isolation, it becomes about something else. And it's like someone's experience in life that are causing them to have the reasons to respond, have an answer or do what they want to do that contributes to the whole, right? Mm. So those are two separate things. And I think in, in society, we confuse it and, and, and we make causes that go towards a direction, but it's, it's not that black and white. Although it, it, technically it can be, mm-hmm. but because everyone's bringing along their own like ideas and experiences into that, that thing, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it starts to create some conflicting uh, growing pains. Yeah. Those conversations aren't had, and then it's just like winning at all, at all possible ways. So how do you go about trying to make that clear, or do you even think about that? Make it clear to like a client? Yeah, like even a client or yourself. Like if you get a if you get like a young kid or even just like someone older. Right. Like how do you go about to clearly define what is it that they want? Especially as a trainer, like there's a lot when you initially meet them that you sort of have to debunk or like there's a lot of baggage that they, they saw from a magazine, from a movie, from the te- like the news. Right. And so it's all these things that they already know mm-hmm. and they just want you to just kind of coordinate it. But it's like, ah, there's a lot of little things. Yeah. So it's a little bit uh, overwhelming for them because they thought they were just going to come in here and work out. Um, I guess that's a little bit on that, giving them what they want, but yeah. also giving them what they need. Is I usually assess people on my first one and I take them through the basic human movements of a squat and a hinge and a lunge and a press and a pull and maybe a crawling pattern and watch their gait and things like that. Um, and some people do come to me with very specific goals, you know, like I just, I just want my chest and arms bigger. Or someone says, I got a lot of back pain, I just don't want my back to hurt anymore. Um, and they think that's a very specific thing and they might not realize that there's a lot of underlying factors that might be prohibiting them from getting to that goal simply Um, and so as best I can usually I try to expose to them one of their own weaknesses that maybe they don't know that they have Um, and you got to be careful with that too because some people are in different emotional states you know if I, I can probably pick a person off the street that or you know like an athlete that has a little bit of a fragile ego and point out a bunch of problems with them that uh, they could be fixed and they would just hear that as just straight negative just negativity yeah, yeah. I'm a piece of shit I'm falling apart like I'm never gonna be good and somebody else could hear those same things like awesome all these good things I can fix and work on and get better and so you have to find kind of a, I like how Tim Ferriss explains some things is, is the minimum effective dose of something I like to try to find close to a minimum effective dose of that negativity for each person, mm-hmm. enough to show them that there's growth potential, but not enough to scare them away with yeah. a daunting task list. Yeah. Um, and then usually, after being exposed to those deficits or ideas or, or something like that, they will kind of naturally come upon their own goal related to that, whether they voice it or not. They'll just come in every day and be like trying that one move that we did that they couldn't seem to master. And I'm not working with them yet. They're practicing over there on their own. 
or some people really need like a, a true goal setting session like hey listen mm-hmm. first 10 minutes of our workout we're going to sit down in the room by ourselves and i got some p- potential goals for you and we're going to go over and talk about them and you're going to tell me which ones of these appeal to you if none of them appeal to you i'm going to make one appeal to you and you're going to work on that for the next four weeks and we're going to see if we can smash that because a lot of times when people just have those subjective goals of i want to tone up or i want to you know build some muscle like some of those are not easily measured, especially if you're not already at a high level of fitness. Yeah. Like it's hard to tell that I put a bunch of mass on your arms or not in 12 weeks. But um, measurements and weight and uh, things like that are very objective. If you couldn't, if you could only bend down and touch a six inch box six weeks ago and now you can touch your toes, that's something you can see in your everyday life right off the bat. If you couldn't hang from a bar pain-free for 30 seconds and now you can that's objective it's easy to tell if you used to squat 200 and now you squat 240 bam that's objective change and i think those things those objective changes that people can see are what make training with people and exercise addictive is is maybe not the workout hormones and the runner's high or all that but it's it's seeing that you are both the clay and the artist. Mm. You can mold yourself into what you like with the right inputs over time. And when you finally see those outcomes happening, that's really what gets people. PRs and new movements and and new levels of confidence and competence. That's really what gets people hooked, I think. Yeah. So I like to work from there then. Like I I mean I like I'm I agree with everything you're saying. Yeah. Because you have to have that so that people can physically see, mm-hmm. but I like that I like the work that they have to do after that in terms of how they can adapt that into everything in their life. Because I feel like people just separate it too. They they like categorize it, put it in a box, and only when I'm working out, this is how I can think like that. Yeah. I'm like, no, like you need to take that and like put it into if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, if you're a, uh, a mechanic, if you're whatever, right. even the most mundane thing that you do you applying the, the skills that you learned that wor- through the workouts that you've done, the program, yeah, that taking it with you. Because I think, I, like, sometimes talking to people and they, like, don't realize how much they've accomplished in something that they can easily, like, have that same point of view in something else in their life, you know? Yeah, and that, that is hard, too. That's the yeah. psychological part of it is, is, is like, uh, dismissing those weird negative thoughts in your head and, in some ways, I feel really confident, borderline cocky at some things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people say that about me. And then at other times, I feel like a meek little kid. Like, I don't want to talk. I feel, you know, awkward and scared. Um, but that is one of the benefits of exercise is that if you can have that right mindset, you can learn that the process is almost the same for everything. If you want to squat 500 pounds, you got to practice. And you got to persevere, and you got to fail, and you got to come back and do it again. If you want to be a lawyer, you're gonna fail. You're gonna you're gonna spend long hours studying. You're gonna feel like an idiot, you know. Mm-hmm. But then you're gonna persevere, and you're gonna do that. And that's something that always got me. Is I used to have a little hang-up about not having as much formal education as my peers or some other people. Um, and I was a little bit mad at society that they were viewed as like you know better mm-hmm. workers or something than me. And I was like. Um, 
I was like, how can you guys spend six years doing that? And you tell me that you hated college, like you hated every minute of it. You were sleeping five hours a night because you were up all night studying and doing all these things. And like, how can you struggle and sacrifice and suffer to that extent for something you didn't really even believe in that much, like the piece of paper you got, Mm. and you did that for that delayed gratification of later down the road of having more money and a better you know, spouse or a house or where you're going to live or lifestyle, whatever, but you can't seem to use that tool. You can't take that tool into another situation. You're like, nope, this is all it's good for. Yeah. I spent eight years becoming a doctor, and now I, I can't use, I've blown my wad, I guess, of resistance and suffering on that, and I can't do it anywhere else. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mind-boggling to me. Yeah. But I have that same problem in other directions. And so it's, um, it's just really interesting how, how, how you can learn to harness that drive and energy and ability to deal with suffering and take it to new realms. Yeah. It's difficult. I don't yeah. know. That's definitely a sports psychology type thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. So. But that's cool. I mean, I like, that's the stuff I really like to the kind of trainer that I would, I guess... Would want to become yeah. More You're very that. cerebral. Though. I yeah. see you like y'all. Y'all can't see us right now, but his eyes are doing all kinds of crazy shit. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh and I see him when he's working with other people. He's you know, like, oh, this exercise is very Freudian. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot. A common thing is fear, and I mean, oh for sure, God, yeah, it just comes in. I mean, I, I get it. Everyone gets it, but it's what I've just noticed is that's the thing with people. It's yeah. just there's always a fear of something, mm-hmm. and you have to figure out that and you have to look at it and then maybe you don't have to look, keep looking at it but like at least give me a sign that you're aware and that you want to at least improve on that yeah because it can one of the things you were saying too about is is taking that drive into those other situations it's one thing that always kind of drew me to like that samurai warrior culture back when I was younger and still now but was that they kind of took that no matter how mundane an act or simple it seemed, like the pride and the level of detail and the level of mm. um, work that they would put into whatever they were doing, whether it was their calligraphy practice, whether it was their martial arts practice, whether it was their relationships, their businesses. You know, you were, I'm making tea, and the tea looks like the most intricate tea you've ever seen made. You know, every <laughs> yeah. step is perfect. That's true. And um, that was. Those were people trying to do what we're talking about that that had a culture flawed in some ways, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. And all, all of them have something like yeah. that. But so respectable to me in the way that they, they tried to put their soul into whatever endeavor they were under. If I'm weaving a basket, you better believe it's the best fucking mm-hmm. basket in the village. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm making tea, you never had tea like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter. It, and a swordsman. You know, um, I don't know. I really like Jocko Willink's podcast with uh, Tim Ferriss, and they went over the book Musashi, which is a novel, but it's based on the life of Miyamoto Musashi, the um, renowned samurai who wrote the Book of the Five Rings, Hmm. um, killed his first man when he was like 14 or 15. Just an all-around badass, but the story is really cool, and it it has a lot of uh, good lessons in it, I think. So I'm probably going to re-listen to that soon. The podcast with the book. Have you uh, read the book? I haven't read the book through, but the good, book though. is like thicker than my head. It's a big ass. Oh book. my god! I know it's a thick head. Um, <laughs> but um, 
But they talk about it. Yeah, yeah, in pretty good length. And, and I like it when they do. That's cool. Jocko Willing does really good book breakdowns, I think. You know, he's mm. kind of a, appears to be a big meathead, Navy SEAL, jiu-jitsu black belt, badass. Mm. But, you know, he also has, a, he majored in English because he <laughs> understood that communication and language was super important for what he did. Yeah. You know, so. Well, it's the, it's the art of things. Everything has an art. Like mm-hmm. if you if you break it down, slow it down, everything will look like it has a cadence, a rhythm. Yeah. And so if you pay attention to it, that's how you can get good at something. Like you do juggling. I cannot do juggling. Yeah. But I'm now watching you. I'm like, I want to try because I think that's a good example of like this flow. time last year. I would have said the same thing. I was like, dude, I can't juggle. Like, are you kidding me? I got no. They used to call me brick hands, bro. They called me brick hands because I could hit really hard, but if anything hit my hands, it would fall. Like, it didn't matter. So, yeah. And now I can juggle a little bit. Just a little bit. I'm still a beginner at that. But it's it's good because it, it reminds you that you can still do stuff. Even yeah. as you, you know, old dog learn new tricks. Neither of us are old, but you know yeah. what I mean by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's also a neural thing. Like oh, it's, for sure. There's a lot of eyes and cord- eye-hand coordination yep. and stuff. But... So what else, Austin? Tell what, what's going on in the world now. Oh, Let's talk shit. about like who, who knows, knows? Corona. <laughs> I know. How's it been for Q, you? Q drops <laughs> and all kinds. Oh of my god, that's the theory ish going on right that's now. That's on the rise. That will be a podcast on its own. But yeah, yeah like there's still, there's a lot of there's conspiracies lot. now. I don't know. Apparently, the three main branches of the government are pedophiles. <laughs> uh, everyone's a pedophile. Yeah, everyone's a pedophile now. I just read something where Christian. Did you just look at my kid? <laughs> yeah, it's like I mean it's serious stuff. That's why I'm like I hate that the way yeah. this kind of comes about. People seem like they're worried about it, but they just post about it, and I'm just like, I've, so I, I follow thing accounts that I that are like opposite of how I think because mm-hmm. I want to see how like people think about things, yeah. and like some of the things that are out there, I'm just like okay. If say this is true, right? I've even I've even like I've had time and I go and like DM them I'm like oh, no. so what? So you play know? a little devil's advocate. Yeah, there's yeah. some times where I'm like, I want to see like your thought process with this because it just I don't flat earthers. God, I can't even. I know. Yeah. I, I know. <laughs> and 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 so when I see certain things, I'm like, what are you doing actively to try to at least? Oh. combat some of these things even if it's like we're in too deep and with like we just all have to come together yeah. but no one's gonna come together on Instagram yeah it's just yeah I, mean, I saw that meme a couple weeks ago too it's like imagine that Twitter Facebook and Instagram all got deleted right now like you're no longer an activist you know so and, yeah. and, and I don't I don't I try not to um, I try to use certain language like should and ought to and, and mm-hmm. it would be optimal. I try not to give myself like should statements, yeah. cognitive Absolute. therapy type stuff, yeah. things that can possibly cause that dissonance and yeah. things that cause frustration and problems like that. Um, so I'm not going to give a number, but I'm sure a large portion of the people that are, that are really active on the social media outlets do almost nothing in their day-to-day life that makes lasting impact on those, those problems. Mm-hmm. And you could be the absolute best social media influencer talking about those things, but um, you personally, if you're not out there doing stuff yes. to change the world, I, I don't think it's worth as much. No. I just don't think it's you might You might inspire a whole lot of people to do good things, and that is great, um, but it's like being the big steroided up uh, personal trainer who tells everyone they can do what he does naturally. 
you know, and lies about it. Like, yeah. yes, you, you might be inspiring somebody, but like you're not living it. And really at the end of the day, like unless you leave behind genetic material, I mean, not meaning like semen at a crime scene. <laughs> I mean like having kids that you raise the right way that they are your progeny. That's, that's yeah. your genetic mark on the world yeah. and how you can affect the world is like through your kids. So if you don't have kids, and I'm not saying you know, like yeah. gay couples or yeah. people that are infertile or just people that don't care about having kids. I don't have any kids right now. Yeah. How can you leave your mark on this world? And it's, it's going to be through your actions and the memories of you and the things you set in motion. Um, and that's one thing I really think about in my life. is like, man, if I don't have kids, like, how am I going to change this world? Um, through your work. Yeah, it's got to be through your works and, and how I affect other people's lives. And that's another reason I like working with somewhat younger, pliable minds is because mm-hmm. I can steer them yeah. out of those pitfalls that I was in and, and um, you know, hopefully give them that in the Matrix. Which pill did you want to take in the Matrix to get out? I think it was a uh, blue? Because he took the red one? I don't know. Whichever one you want to do to get out of the Matrix, that's the one I want to give people early oh, in life. Oh, that's the red one. Because yeah. then the conservatives took the red pill thing. Uh, Remember? <laughs> Which, that's a whole thing, too. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, the world is a little bit crazy right now. Yeah, but I, I feel like every generation says that. Yeah. Ah, it's the worst time to be alive, man. And someone's like, nah, it's actually the best time to be alive. You yeah, know, like, I think so, too. I'm very optimistic about it, but there is like... Ah, like I think I told I told you this story, but it I've had to sort of take a break from news, social media, and all that stuff because of how because uh, people are painting this very dark world. Which yes, there's some bad stuff going on and things that we need to actively change. <clears throat> on the other hand, it's not new to me. Um, when you're consumed with every outlet telling you like this is what's wrong this is what's happening nobody's doing this and that you get consumed with that that's how the world is and oh, i don't yeah. think it is and like if you zoom out again that kind of going back if you zoom out as a whole like we'll be fine humanity will be fine to an extent but yeah. we'll get over it we've gotten over worse you know yeah. but um but we have to hold on to that in order to change the things that are going bad right and, yeah and i think if we're just constantly told that it's because that side did this and this side did that and we're not going anywhere if we're doing yeah that. it's just i think it's just part of the human mind is a little bit easier to focus on negative things than it is to focus on positive things when i'm in that depressed state dude didn't do anything you know my mom my ex girl you know my girlfriend at the time or whoever anybody you love and care about and trust could come up and tell you the best things in the world about you Austin, you're so handsome, you're so bright, you're so intelligent, mm-hmm. uh, you're so buff, your beard is amazing, What? <laughs> no one cares that you're bald, yeah. <laughs> things like that. And all of that can be shut down by that single negative thought. Yeah. And so now we live in a time with information being so quickly put out and so easily accessible and so much of it focused on negativity um, or just fucking shallow, useless things that you kind of forget that there are great things going on and great things can still be done and better things can still be done and you could be part of that. Um, and there's there's still big changes to be made in the world, even with evil going on. Yeah. Holy crap. If you guys don't believe evil's going on, listen to Jordan B. Peterson oh and Jocko God. Willink talk on a podcast <laughs> and you'll know about some fucking evil. It's some dark stuff. Listen to, listen to the old um, Vice uh, documentary on Liberia. Okay, that's <sighs> scary. Cannibalism, that shit's still happening. Child, you know, um, trafficking, Uh, all that kind of stuff, it's still out there. Real evil is really out there. And if you're not doing real things 
to make the world Real better. Things. Just like I said before on the momentum. After a certain point, life is entropy. It's all going downhill just how fast. Mm-hmm. So if you're not growing, you're shrinking. So find a way to grow all the time. Whether it's personal, in your in your interpersonal relationships, mm-hmm. or finding ways to make other people grow or other things grow. That's that's how you're gonna stop yeah. this this seemingly unstoppable onslaught of negativity and evil in the world is mm-hmm. is keeping the momentum of the good stuff going, yeah. I think. I, I will say that <clears throat> I've all, I'll, I never have absolutes, but he said never. I know. Because <laughs> I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. there's very few things that I would say that are absolutes. I got you. That's I always semantics. Que- I know. I always question everything. Well, you should question everything, but um, I don't know. Technology, more and more, I just do not. It's not my thing. I don't. I don't think it's a. It's a positive for humanity. I, I think know. there are ways. I'm still that trying it is. to think yeah. about it, you know, but because it, it's just I, it taps into, and even like the the creators of Facebook or like all these programmers or whatever they are, mm-hmm. um, even admitted like we shouldn't have gone this route, but we did it anyways, right. and they chose to do it. And the part that it taps into people's like psyche and uh, capitalizes off that, I just I don't. Uh, there's huge power and responsibility for that. And it, it, this is like the new version of eating the apple. No pun intended with apple. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because like you get it and then now you have all this knowledge. It's and probably that knowledge, a fig, but you know. You whatever. I'm just messing with Symbolically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The <laughs> apple origina- originated in Kazakhstan. So, I mean, that's kind of the area. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? Like it's the new, it's the new way of knowledge where like any knowledge is game. Yeah, I think that's part of an overreaching theme of just humanity in general. In that old school, I can't remember where the quote comes from, but but that man's reach exceeds his grasp. We have a long history of, especially like it, it rocketed during the Industrial Revolution, but a long history of like discovering, implementing something new, and being super gung ho about it and exploding in growth. And then finding out there were some downfalls to it after all, you know, mm. whether it was medicine, um, you know, opiates. The opiates were huge, you know, like in the late 70s, early 80s. Like, yeah, if I can give it to kids, it's great for you. Not addictive. I was like, <laughs> really? The opium is not addictive. Okay. Um, yeah. And then they find out later, oh, there's all these problems. Cigarette smoking, problems. Uh, the industrial-based farming industry, problems. Um, but... Especially, you know, that manifest destiny, growth at all costs type mentality that people have is, uh, it leads to some of that. Where you find a new path and you're like, ooh, no one's gone down this path yet. I bet there's riches down here. And you just sprint down that path and you find some stuff and you just keep sprinting. You're like, dude, this is the best path I've ever sprinted down. And then suddenly you run into a whole bunch of thorns and other crap. And then when you turn around, you're like, it turns out I've been doing this for a long time and I'm just now succumbing to the poison of the thorns you know what i mean yeah. like so that's technology has done wonderful things a lot of my yeah, favorite things come from technology but a lot of the worst things come from it as well you know i think mm-hmm. um for young men and old men on just all men and probably people in general i think like pornography like the availability mm-hmm. of it is, is like not good for our brain it's mm-hmm. just it's similar it's hijacking those same evolutionary portions of our brain that make us love fatty, salty, sugary food. You know, like mm-hmm. back the majority of our existence as humans, 
things that had fat in them, you had to chase and kill them or trap them or fight them. And so it required great risk of injury and death and energy, but it had great reward. And then sugary things. Well, shit, man, sugary things only happen in some, like some portions of the world don't even really grow fruit. Like where the hell are you gonna find sugary things? You're probably not other than honey, you know? Um, so fruits only blossom a certain time of the year. Mm -hmm. So you're only gonna get so much. So when your body sees it, it's like, bro, you better eat all that mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. There's kids starving in wherever, mm -hmm. eat that. So you eat as much as you can. Salty things, same thing. Like where would we get salt from previously? You'd have to find ways to mine it or go to the ocean and find it, just, you know, like um, after it uh, evaporates from salt waters, things like that, or from the blood of creatures that we killed. You know, like that's where you would get sodium from, and there's a reason that our body craved those things. But now, since it's everywhere, that part of our brain hasn't changed. That part of our brain still thinks, holy shit, bro, you're going to need that sugar. You never know when you're going to see this again. Mm -hmm. You better eat that fat now. The winter's coming. Mm -hmm. You know, get that salt while you can. Mm -hmm. But now it's everywhere. And so that part of your brain just keeps consuming, keeps consuming, keeps consuming. And I think the same thing for something like fake news and mm -hmm. ass-centric IG models and OnlyFans and all <laughs> these outlets that fulfill this little need in our brain for maybe like you know, looking at the opposite sex or whatever sex you're attracted to in a sexual manner, um, feeling needed or wanted by them, um, getting those little endorphin rushes in these kind of artificial ways. Um, even though those artificial ways are very, they've been subtracted out of the equation, the rest of it. So it's just like, it's like this raw, all you get is this raw ingredient. You don't get any of the good things that came with it. Kind of like what people say, you know, like sometimes eating the whole food is better than just extracting that little bit because mm -hmm. there's micronutrients in there that help with the absorption or the digestion of whatever you're talking about. I'm not a nutrition expert. But um, I think sometimes it, it, the technological advances and stuff, we see like, oh, that one thing is good, so more of that is good. But you didn't see the whole picture of how the process of getting to that thing in the first place was really what was good, mm -hmm. not the finished product. Yeah. Um, and so there's lots of that. Yeah. Just it's so accessible, right? So people don't slow down to analyze information, especially with kids. If little kids have like an iPad now and like their brain is moving fast mm -hmm. and they're learning a lot of things that they don't even know how to ride a bike. Yeah. You know, they know how to operate an iPad, but they don't know how to ride a bike yet. And I think both of those are great things. Yeah. I think you should be doing both. You just, the balance is the, the hardest part of, I think, everything. You want to go all, like some of the best business people, like the, you know, the, what's this for now? Mm -hmm. Any of the top business guys, you know, the, the most successful people in the world, they're zealots. They have that zealous energy I was talking about, but they're so freaking good at that one thing, they're probably terrible at everything else. You know, they have divorces and, you know, problems with their family or they can't get along in everyday societies and things like that. And sometimes that's needed for greatness, but most people aren't trying to get to that level of greatness. And you have to find a balance. And the thing is, balance is actually harder. Yeah. Balance is harder yeah. um, than being full zealot mode. If you have that full zealot mode in you, definitely than being balanced is harder. Yeah. It's way easier just to be hard. Yeah. Have that hard heart. I'm, I'm alpha, aggressive, you know, I don't need this, I don't need that, I'll do everything on my own. That's easier. Yeah than being a little bit vulnerable or saying, fuck, I made a mistake, I need to learn from this, or can you help me? Mm -hmm. That's harder. It, it truly is, yeah. but it's not viewed that way all the time. No.
And same thing with technology, you know, find a balance in those things. And it's yeah. tough. So where are you, what are you currently working on for me? yourself? Yeah. Oh, man. So big things for me really right now is, is a, not necessarily self-confidence, but like, oh, man, this sounds so, sounds so soft. <laughs> I need I need that what? I need you to input that gif of Kobe <laughs> in that game where he shakes his head and just mouths the word soft. <laughs> but uh, is this like self acceptance and a little bit of self love maybe because I'm like terrible, terrible at those things where I say if I can find a single negative about myself, doesn't matter what's going on in my life. Um, but I really I'm really working on that, and I'm in a period of growth in terms of new knowledge and, and learning new things about myself and people around me and, and relationships and coaching. And I've joined a really good community that's kind of helping me do that real movement. Um, if you guys listen to this, thank you so much. Um, but that's really the big one for me. I, I've always been, um, I don't remember how to say it in Latin, but he who conquers himself conquers all. Mm. I've always been the thing holding me back. I've never had someone really hold me down, you know. Maybe it's because I'm a white man, but there's never been, you can't do that because you're this, you can't do that because you're that. It's always been in my own head, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so getting rid of that voice and starting to believe in myself a little bit more and continue to grow and learn in this, the way that I have been. And eventually, you know, I, I, the main reasons I'm doing this is because I can tell it's really held me back from finding a more meaningful relationship with somebody to mm -hmm. share my life with. Yeah. And um, for the past few years, though, I've been getting way more open to vulnerability and things like that. So, um, so that's, that's really what I'm working on is softening the hard parts of me and hardening the soft parts so that I have mm -hmm. some balance. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah, man. Now people time. got to have a little bit of an insight of how you think. Yeah, I'd love to listen to this because I'm sure I'm going to be hella embarrassed when I listen to myself. But. Uh, I mean, everyone. Me too. This is the new to me. So yeah. I don't know. But it's a good experience, even if we're not successful. Yeah. We did it. I just Take wanna, that. Yeah. I just want to try it out. I'm flexing at the mic right now. Y'all can't see it. So. <laughs> okay, but anything you want to say and to finish um, off? Or? Yeah, I think that growth mindset is really important. The... Uh, the weed and the oak tree. Oh yeah. And I always use this. I, I told this to a therapist one time. And I'll make it as short as I can. Yeah. My mom and my dad are like a weed and an oak tree. My dad was, like I said, Olympic team boxer, um, just gung ho, strong personality, alpha type athlete. But he really only had like that one. He had a hammer, bro, and everything became a nail. But he was. So so freaking good at swinging that hammer, it didn't matter, right? And in, a, in his career, you know, back in the day, he, he blossomed really quickly because he was very personable and was good back in the 80s. Uh, there wasn't a lot of computer stuff going on. And he made a pretty good wage for back then, but he had to work really hard for it. And meanwhile, my mother kind of lived in his shadow as far as like, you know, her voice inside the house and her income and things like that, you know? and. Um, but then when I was about five or six, my mom started going back to school, night school, you know, Commerce, Texas. She was having to, um, you know, travel back and forth. And she was working at a bowling alley as an accountant, you know, not making that much money. Uh, probably less than half what my dad made. And, but she kept grinding. And um, then, she, then my brother was born and she got her master's degree, got her MBA. And started working at a hospital as a 
accountant. And my dad was still doing his same old job. Uh, nothing was wrong with that, but the wage was not growing very fast, you know, probably just barely keeping up with inflation, things like that. But he was starting to have some insecurities and some fear of the changes that were coming in his workplace with computers and newer guys and you know new management coming in always makes people fearful for their jobs and stuff and my mom kept grinding she kept finding new ways to learn and around this time in my life is when I started seeing this weird dynamic of some of these ego shifts of my my dad like I said was like a weed it didn't matter where you put my dad when he was young and he was raring to go he could have sprouted in the middle of the sidewalk with no dirt and no water just like those weeds you see and he was going to sprout up two feet real fast and spread out, but his roots were very shallow, and it didn't have a plan B. It's, it's plan A all the way, baby. And my mom had lots of plans, and she had a slow growth rate. You know, she was that little acorn that just barely started to grow and was literally in the shadow of the weed for a while. And then there was this time period in my life where they were kind of at the same height, and there was a struggle. Um, and it was visible to me, and probably not my brother at the time because he was still kind of young, but I saw this struggle and it was, it was a little uh, turbulent in my mind as a young kid. And, um, and then I saw my mom just continue from accountant at a bowling alley to accountant at a hospital to the controller of that hospital to the CFO and then moved to the, um, the corporate end and became the senior director of managed care. And she makes hella money now with big ass bonus. Like if I can make what my mom makes, I'll be super happy with my life as far as income is concerned. Um, but my dad, throughout that whole time, I saw the struggle of like not adapting, not having a plan B, not admitting mistake and finding a new way to grow. And, and, and he essentially froze in the late 80s as like, I mean, and he's a great dad. He did tons of great things for our family, super loving, and I wouldn't trade him for any other dad on the planet. But you can see my dad right now in some short, short coaching shorts with his leg up on the beach talking to whoever, you know, and he's still the alpha man, got his little gut, got a dip in, uh, but he hasn't really changed, you know. And uh, my mom just continued to find ways to change and try to maybe not stay young, but, you know, that matters to her too. But reinvent herself and learn and adapt and have more plans. And now my mom is this fully-fledged oak tree and shadows over, like, the whole family in a good way, mm-hmm. in not the overbearing shadow in you and you can't grow here but in the safe haven reprieve come sit down underneath this shade and relax and enjoy type of shade Um, and I just think like she's one of my biggest influences in terms of that kind of stuff is I think it's really important to have that oak tree mindset versus the weed mindset and that's a lot of what I see right now with younger crowds and especially in the technology world the IG world is is very much a weed mentality Um, Mm -hmm. and just don't forget that some of these weeds they do make pretty little flowers and they explode up quick and and you know they're they're in places where you might not find a tree but um, they don't last forever you know and they've got shallow roots so try to be the oak tree when you can the oak tree yeah that was good it was very very poetic yeah look at you already getting soft Oh, shit. In the podcast now. (laughs) All right. And we're done.